studying Romans early. First Corinthians. Uh, last week we got down to, if my notes are correct, we got down to verse 5, chapter 2. Here, Paul is making a point to these Corinthians. This divided up, and uh, they're uh, boiling over in man's wisdom and philosophy and all of that. And Paul makes it clear to them that there's a difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. He made that clear in chapter 1, didn't he? He told us that God chose what? He chose the weak things of the world, the things that men count as weakness, to uh, annihilate the strong. He chose uh, the foolish things of the world to confound the, the things that are wise and mighty. And so God is showing that if you believe in Him, you trust His wisdom and His word that teaches that wisdom. You don't trust anything else. And so Paul's talking to the Corinthians here in chapter 2. He said, I didn't come to you with a bunch of fancy words and speeches. I come to you in sincerity and out of fear. Uh, and that's the way a man mounts the pulpit anytime. Fear before God and fear of man. Because man counts what we preach as foolish. Stupid, ridiculous. He walks away laughing about us as though we were fools. And we are. We're fools for Christ's sake. Because we don't preach the wisdom of man, we preach the wisdom of God, and there's a distinct, distinct difference. Uh, the wisdom of God was preaching the cross, a crucified Savior. To the Greek, it was foolishness, and to the Jew, it was a stumbling block. It still is today. But our reliance is on the revelation of God's Word, not on uh, what the colleges say, what popu what's popular today. We don't rest in those things, in the wisdom of man, because they're coming to naught, aren't they? <coughs> So let me read uh, chapter 2, verse 1 down through verse 8, because that's about as far as we'll get tonight, I think. And I'm reading out of this uh, more modern translation. Dear brothers, even when I first came to you, I didn't use lofty words and brilliant ideas to tell you God's message. For I decided that I would speak only of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Now we've already seen that that's foolishness to the world. It's a stumbling block to the Jew. We've seen that in chapter 1. And... Uh, and we've seen why it was, because 
we preach salvation by, by the death of Christ. And we preach deliverance in salvation by our death in the baptistry as we mimic the death of Christ. You know what Paul said in Romans 6, 3 through 6? He said, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into what? His death. We're also buried with him and we're raised with him to walk in newness of life. He said, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my preaching was very plain, uh, not with a lot of or oratory and human wisdom, but with the Holy Spirit's power uh, was in my words. And so he allowed God to choose the words. The power of the Holy Spirit is through the written word. Uh, proving to those who had heard them that the message was from God. There's a distinct difference again between the wisdom of the world, wisdom of man, and the wisdom of God. I did this because I wanted your faith to stand firmly upon God and not on man's great ideas. Yet when I am among mature Christians, I do speak with words of great wisdom, but not the kind that comes uh, from here on earth, and not the kind that appears uh, appeals to the great men of this world who are doomed to fall. Our words are wise because they are from God. There's the source of what we preach is from God. If we don't understand it, then we wait a while because our immaturity has to grow to a point to where we can understand it, but we trust God. God has already proven himself enough to us that we follow him. And if we don't understand something, that's fine. We go on and we think about it and we live a little longer and pretty soon it'll come to maturity. And so our words are wise because they're from God telling of God's wise plan to bring us into the glories of heaven. Now this plan was hidden in former times, though it was made for our benefit before the world began. But the great men of this world have not understood it. If they had, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. This is what is meant by the scriptures when it says that no mere man has ever seen, heard, or even imagined what wonderful things God has, all, God has ready for those who love the Lord. But we know about those things because God has sent His Spirit to tell us. And His Spirit searches out and shows us all of God's deepest secrets. No one can really know what anyone else is thinking or what he is really like except the person himself. And so no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And God has actually given us his spirit, not the world's spirit, to tell us about the wonderful free gift of grace and blessings that God has given us. Uh, 
And so again, Paul makes a clear distinction between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of men. A lot of churches are built not on the wisdom of God, but on the wisdom of men. All Christ, the name Christ comes into it, and there's a few religious things come into it, but the, the building of it, the structure of it, is with human wisdom. And it won't last. And it won't save. And so Paul tells them very clearly that this division amongst you has got to cease. You've got to recognize uh, that God has revealed Himself and you stand in the face of God. You stand confronted with the revelation of God's Word. I want to read that to you out of this this book here that speaks more in our vernacular. And so, let's look at verse 5 as we close out this section right here. Paul had been talking about not resting on man's wisdom. (coughs) Uh, He he made it clear that we preach a crucified Lord in weakness and trembling. And in the mean, and in it we trust the Spirit to be there. So why do we do that? Verse 5. So that man's faith will not be in man's wisdom, but in God's power. And so verse 5, <clears throat> we got a reason for doing it that way. Now we can do it otherwise in our own uh, power in our own strength, with our own reputation, and that we can have great results. Look at the denominational world. They have far more results than we do, simply because men are sucked into man's wisdom, man's philosophies. So people will be one, churches will be built up, and you're going to go straight to hell. That's the whole idea. Don't pass go, don't collect $200. Uh, If you're doing it for the wrong reasons and and, uh, God's grace covers your sin, one one or the other. But the reason we're doing it that way, uh, uh, the motivation for doing it that way And so the man will stand. Uh, He'll stand in the wisdom of God. You and I want the church to stand, and it it can't stand in human wisdom. Proverbs 16, verse 18. The writer said, Pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before the fall. And that's always been man's problem. Man is a failure, and we've mentioned it before, and I'll mention it again. You trust in man's wisdom, you're trusting in a failure, and you can see it. It's open to you, these eyes in history. Read Romans 1, beginning in verse 18, and read through to chapter 3, verse 20. And you'll find a Jew and Greek, that covers everybody in the world, is a total failure. They always have been. They always will be. Your history book proves it. 
the great men of this earth that built empire, umpire, uh, empire. What is it? Um, umpires, isn't it? Empires. They built empires. They built great, uh, uh, great things. They'll look at the pyramids. Look at the uh, nature of their governments and things. And there's been quite a history and uh, success in man. Where's it at now? It's all a failure. Because your history book is a directory through the cemetery of nations that once were, um, empires that once, once were and are no more. Because they trusted in human wisdom. And Paul will tell you in Romans 1 through Romans 3 that they're a total failure. They never have had any success. They never will. And so if you put your trust in God, you may not understand all that God tells you. Are you expected to? What about your children? Little Johnny and little Sally, do they understand everything about you and your wife and your home? No. No, but they trust you. They know that you're trustworthy and they, they abide with you and as they grow up, they come to learn your wisdom and your uh, standing in that home. But uh, they don't question it. They just don't understand it. So there's a lot of things about God that we're working on trying to understand to the depths that we can. But that comes through maturity. But in the meantime, we trust God. Uh, <clears throat> so it cannot stand in human wisdom the church can't the church your brothers and sisters and mine cannot stand in human wisdom and they will uh, and they will stand in human wisdom if I have any method other than uh, a proclamation both in life and in lip and any message other than the crucified Lord, any manner other than weakness, fear, and trembling, as Paul mentioned there, and any means other than Spirit's power. <clears throat> the church will try to stand in its own power and not in God's power, and therefore it will fall. And that's what's the matter with most of them. <clears throat> They're standing in their own power. They don't. Uh, they build the church according to their wisdom, their understanding, and they've destroyed it. They've set up classes and had teachers that are immature in themselves. They need to be in class, and they're down there teaching the kids. Your kids are smart enough to see that. Your kids are smart enough to see it. I grew up in those classes. I went to them, not all together, but I did go to them. And as a kid, as a little boy, I remember seeing the stupidity of all of it. The guy teaching, the, well, let's just say the teenagers. He knows that teenagers ain't interested in the truth, so he comes into the class with jokes. And he talks to the kids about how was your day at school? What the hell does that have to do with a man's salvation? 
But there you go, off into human wisdom. And he's trying to impress the congregation. He's a teacher. He couldn't teach a dog. He's not using the wisdom of God. He's using the wisdom of man. He's playing on these kids and trying to entertain them. Entertain them into salvation. And those kids can see it. And when they get about 18, by they leave mom and dad, they finally get on us and they say, we've had enough of church stuff. We don't want any more of that. There was nothing there. It was all a facade. <clears throat> so Paul's trying to get these people in Corinth to see that. Uh, that the church won't stand except on the wisdom of, of God. And so it's composed, here the church is uh, Well, the reason that Paul's discussing here shows that there's a significant decline and fall in churches today because they're resting in doctrines and in and not not in fools and in faith. They're not resting in God's Word. They're not willing to become fools. Uh, so it's only in fools and in faith that standing can be found before God. And so it's composed, the church is composed of fools. Uh, they don't rest on human wisdom but on God's power. And the power is found on the cross. And so from 2.6 to 3.4, the local church is confronted with the mind of Christ, the mind of God. Now we've seen it empowered by God. God empowered the church. Men, need, need, men don't understand that. A lot of these churches don't understand that. They're empowered by God. They think some philosophy out here is going to keep their kids faithful. That isn't going to do it. The power is found in the grace of God and preaching that grace. It'll make an old man leap for joy to realize that he can be redeemed from his pitiful state, that God does not hold that against him. All he's looking for is that man to bring words and come into his presence and acknowledge his situation and repent to be baptized. That's the power of God. And so we've seen the church empowered by God, imperiled by division, and that's what division does, separates and destroys. It's composed of fools. It's resting in God's power and not in human wisdom. And now, it's confronted with the mind of Christ. Now, as we study this, we need to see very clearly that God has not left anything hidden. He's revealed all that we need to know. We saw that in our study on Sunday morning about the nature of God's Word. It's sufficient for all of our needs. It's not lacking anywhere. It's not like a prescription that a doctor gives you and 
and they don't take care of the problem. And the church of Corinth needed to, needed to know that, that they're confronted with the mind of God. Uh, so it faces the mind of God. It gets face to face with, with the Lord and His mind. Uh, so, does the local body have wisdom? Yes. His name is Jesus. He was sick. You remember Paul saying that Jesus has been made our righteousness and our wisdom? So if I want wisdom, who do I turn to? The great philosophers of the world. Turn to Jesus. Wisdom becomes to us a person, not a possession. If we think it's a possession, we will probably boast of our possession of it. That's uh, very nature, natural for man. He'll take credit for it. If we think wisdom is a person, we'll do everything to have him stay. We will stand him up before the congregation in our preaching. And so there's two points there in chapter 2, 6 through 3, 4. There's two points. Uh, 6 through 13 is the revelation that God has made to this world. And 14 uh, through 3, 4 is the reception that the world has and always will have toward the Word. Because we're going to find out that in this reception there's three ways to receive. I'll save that for later. Uh, you've got the revelation of Christ's mind it's presented here in the second chapter. <clears throat> in two, chapter 2, verse 6 through 13. How did it get here? Well, by revelation. It was revealed. God revealed it. Now, the devil's been trying to convince everybody that these men just spoke because they interpreted what God told them to talk on. Like God would tell Paul, uh, go talk on grace. Go preach on grace. Put it in your own words. No, they did not. And as we study this second chapter, Paul will make it clear that God chose every word. Every word. Now, it's true that he worked through their personalities because their personalities are different. The, the men who wrote the Bible. But can God, do you think God has the power? He created those men. He created the mind. Don't you think He can work through their personalities and choose every word that He wants? And that's what Paul will tell us in this section of Scripture. And so how did we get God's, uh, uh, the mind of Christ? Through revelation. Uh, how did it arrive? Well, there's the reception of the word. How did we receive it? So number two is reception. Uh, how did, did I receive it? Uh, who can and who can't receive this revelation? Uh, that's chapter 2 verse 14 through 3, 4. How did I uh, 
So how did the mind of Christ get into the world? Who in the world can, cannot receive it? And who can and who does and who can? Uh, can and doesn't. We're going to find out these three classes of people in the world. There's three classes in the world. And here they are. One class cannot receive the mind of Christ. They can't. Because you've got to be spiritual to understand it. You've got to, be, you've got to approach it with the fact that it's God's wisdom. You see, God has one thing that separates man, uh, the ungodly, from being his children. The first one is he revealed himself through the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world. And so if the world is wrapped up in their own staunch pride and arrogance, uh, looking to man's wisdom, they ain't going to have anything to do with the revelation of God. And they're headed for hell, sure shooting. All right, so one class can't receive the mind of Christ. One class can and does receive the mind of Christ. That's you and me. And one class can and does not receive the mind of Christ. And so the world is divided by the mind of Christ into three groups. The cannots, the can and does, and the can and does not. That's the three ways that the mind of Christ, when it came into the world, divided the world. The world is composed of three different of, of kinds of people. Natural people, spiritual people, and carnal people. And the last two are in the church. The spiritual and the carnal are in the church. The natural are not in Paul's way of dividing it here. So let's look at the revelation that he's talking about, starting in 2.6. In verse 6 through 9, he says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom. Now, the world don't recognize it, but we do. We, we need to recognize this is the wisdom of God. He just uh, denied that he speaks anything in regard to human wisdom. The wisdom Paul speaks applies in every manner of life. If a boy or girl is starting out to date, they need to do so by God's wisdom and not man's power. If a man's starting a business, he needs to learn to start in God's wisdom and not in man's power. Because whatever he's doing, he needs to relate God's power to it and not man's wisdom. He would do a lot better by studying Proverbs than he would by studying books of man's wisdom if he's running a business. Because Paul says, now we speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age of man or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. There's your history book being a director through the cemetery of nations who once were not anymore. They've come to nothing. And can't you see that? Can't the world see that? We all have history books. We all study these things. We're all confronted with the destruction of Rome uh, they make movies about these things. 
And yet man is so stupid, he never co connects the thoughts. He never sees history is just a director through the cemetery. He don't see that. And he certainly don't read the wisdom of God that Paul penned in Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. Why is the wrath of God revealed in life, in life's way against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men? Because they're ungodly and unrighteous. And he goes through three chapters to prove it, to show you the wickedness of man by his own wisdom. He's a failure. He always will be and always has been. Man without God is a total failure. Anything he touches, he destroys. He starts a business out here, and if he uses the wisdom of man, he's a thief, he's a liar, he's a deceiver. That's what's going on in the business world. But if he uses the wisdom of God, particularly from the book of Proverbs, that's why I mentioned Proverbs a while ago, if you want to be successful, just read the wisdom of God in Proverbs and abide by it. You do good to your fellow man. You treat him right. You're honest and open with him. You'll be a success. What about the man who's a liar and a deceiver? Well, he'll be a success for a while, but his building will crumble around him sooner or later. He won't survive. <clears throat> and so Paul says again now we speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing in chapter 1 verse 28 what did they think they were nothing but according to this verse, what are they coming to? Nothing. The end of all human wisdom, the end of all human power is zero. It's going to nothing. If you miss the power that's in the cross, you've missed it all. That's the point. And God's wisdom uh, <laughs> on how to, in a marriage, God's wisdom in young people dating. God's wisdom, if it's, uh, if it's understood in any facet of our lives, would be a success. Otherwise, if we follow the ways of men, look, look at the ways of men abroad. The teaching in the colleges, the teaching in the books that men write about marriage and, and love and all of that nonsense. It's brought us a case now where we got about 80% divorces in America. That's quite a few, isn't it? When I drive through some of these home blocks of these, uh, where they're building a whole bunch of houses. And, housing developments. What? Housing developments. Yeah, housing developers. Beautiful houses and way beyond a working man's ability to pay for, but they'll be sucked in, young people will, and buy them places. They're following the wisdom of man. They're following the pride of man. Will it last? No. It isn't long until they're in a divorce and the house is up for sale. And so, 
Here, 80%, they claim, are in divorce sooner or later. <coughs> As I drive through them homes, I tell myself there's 80% of them will be up for sale here in next year, or the next year, because of it. Uh, so, if they trust in human wisdom and human power, it comes to zero. It's going to nothing. It's coming to nothing. It may yet be a number, like three or four or five, whatever, but it's moving down and not up every single time. It's going to nothing. That's what Paul said. The rulers of this age, which are coming to nothing, and so it, uh, uh, but it's moving not down, uh, moving down not up, excuse me, every single time. Uh, any worldly wisdom, any worldly uh, powered movement is on its way to destruction. So if you join it, that's where you're going. So we don't speak anything that the world counts wise, uh, for everything the world counts wise is coming to nothing. Now, what about America? Is it coming to nothing? It sure looks like it's on its way to nothing. We reach a power, let's call it a number five. Let's call it a number 10. Man's wisdom and man's power is always going downward, not upward. So, in the final analysis, we have a history book that tells us that we were here as a nation, not anymore. Isn't that what we're seeing now? Our president signing away everything, the power, uh, shutting down the pipeline, and the power that runs this nation, raising the price of gas, and, and giving the uh, the six-fold price we pay for gas to, to uh, Russia and them countries over there to build it, I mean to, to furnish our gas, our oil, yeah. And then he shows the world that we backed off and apologized to our enemy and we let them make the, uh, all the de decisions. Oh yeah, yeah, we're not going up, we're going down. Divorce shows it, home wrecking, uh, crime. Look at the crime in the cities. Uh, it's a common, ordinary thing anymore. Look at the mayors that's supposed to run these cities, uh, handcuffing the police where they can't do their job. Uh, look at the soldier on the battlefield. His hand, he's handcuffed. He has the most uh, expertise weapons that man has ever known. Yet he's handcuffed. Don't shoot anybody. You might go to prison for life for murder. You better make sure that you can prove that he was trying to hurt you. That's the way they do combat nowadays. In case you didn't know, you have no way of knowing unless you was a soldier. That's what's happened in my lifetime. And so we're watching a power that held the world in amazement, called America. And it's 
it's just like Rome and just like Egypt and just like the nations you read in the history book, it's on its way out. And it's on its way out because of immorality. I mean, we've turned away from God in every way and now we're on our way out. Uh, you know, it takes a, a person a while to die, doesn't it? I mean, we have had relatives that got old and decrepit, couldn't walk anymore, couldn't talk anymore. Uh, in many ways, they showed a process of dying. Well, God allows these nations like America to show us a process of dying. It isn't going to just die all at once. It's going to wane away, and we're seeing it happen in Portland, Seattle, Chicago, Los Angeles, all around the nation. We're seeing the younger generation taking advantage of stores and robbing and hurting people and uh, no law. And the prosecuting attorneys not prosecuting the criminals but turning them loose, opening the prisons and letting them go. Uh, Obama started that. Uh, So we're watching the death rows of a nation, our nation. All we have those like Mike DeVan or whatever his name is, people like him that is hollering and screaming trying to get man's attention, but it's too overwhelming. The nation's not listening. They're too busy on the beaches wearing their, uh, on their uh, entertaining themselves, running around in their sensuality, in their sexuality, their immorality. They ain't got time for none of this uh, government stuff. Oh, we hire people to do that. Get out of my face with that stuff. Not interested. There you go. They will be one day when they suffer like the pilgrims did when it came over on the Mayflower. And just maybe there'll be another 1776, but it'll be a different America. It won't be this one. So we don't speak anything that the world counts wise, for everything the world counts wise is coming to nothing. Verse 7, Paul says, No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden. And by the way, that's the perfect tense. Has in the past been hidden and remains hidden. And so God's wisdom has always been what kind of wisdom? A hidden wisdom. When Moses thought that he had it by the ears, uh, he had to run until finally he understood the Hebrew wisdom of God in a tree that couldn't burn up though, uh, uh, though it burnt. And when he was able to remember that in the strength of that interview and experience that he had with God on the mountain there with that burning bush, he no longer relied on human wisdom and human power except one time and he was stayed out of the promised land because of it. He didn't stay out of heaven, but he stayed out of promised land. And that was to teach him and us 
don't go back to human wisdom once you have renounced it. Now notice this wisdom that Paul talks about. It is secret, he says. It is foreordained. And when the NIV, the New International Version, says God uh, uh, destined for our glory, uh, the word means predestined. The American Standard says God foreordained before the world to our glory. Predestined, which means to set a boundary on ahead of time. So God has foreordained this wisdom. It's not something he thought about on a moment's notice uh, until he cast heaven and earth down on his foundation. Because God foreordained this before time began. He chose this wisdom to be secret. There's a secret to the only person that can understand it is the one who is the humble man. As Jesus taught uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are they that hunger and thirst, they should be filled. They'll come to know the secret of God, the secrets of God, because they will go after His wisdom. Because God fooled the world, he, man's pride makes him so proud like a peacocker. God said, no, no, no. The boasting's going to be in me and my son and what we've done, not in you. But it takes a humble man to accept that. And so this wisdom of God is a secret that's hidden. <clears throat> and it was hidden before time. And so the wisdom you and I rely on is the wisdom that resides before heaven and earth existed. That's what Paul said. And so the wisdom he is offering me existed before time began. The wisdom of God. That's what Paul said. The church of Christ resided in the eternal wisdom of God. The problem is getting rid of all that human wisdom and letting God's wisdom surface. <clears throat> That's what he said in verse 7. Verse 8. He said, None of the rulers of this age understood it, this wisdom of God. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now the word understood there is in the perfect tense. The other two is in the past tense. None, in other words, none of the rulers in the past understood it. And they stand not understanding it. And so don't expect the rulers of this world to ever understand it. In the past, they didn't. And they stand in the position of never understanding it because there's an approach, there's a method of approach to understand the wisdom of God. What is it? It's humility. Listen again to 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. He's the one that will raise you up. He's the one that will strengthen, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Verse 11 says, 
but it's after you've struggled a little while. And life is a struggle, isn't it? And anything you gain in life is a struggle. If you go after salvation, it's a struggle. It's a free gift, that's true. But you're going to struggle in trying to understand it. You're going to study. And what's the Bible say about studying? John says that it's a wearisome thing to study. But that's what God expects. Paul, in behalf of God, told Timothy, study to show yourself approved. So, uh, so, uh, Paul says, now had they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And uh, this is probably Isaiah 64 and verse 4. It's written in a lot of places, this statement, but not in the fullness found here in Isaiah 64, verse 4. Sometimes Paul will just say, it is written, and he has in mind the tenor of a bunch of passages. And so it sounds like Isaiah 64 and verse 4. And I'll read it to you. For from of old men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, and neither uh, hath the eye seen a God besides thee, who worketh for him that waiteth for him. Does God work for the man that waits for him? That's what it says, and that's what it teaches in many places in many ways. <clears throat> Verse 9. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those that love Him. Now, He's not talking about heaven, He's talking about the local body. He's talking about the wisdom of God found in the local body, the church. Verse 10. But God has revealed it. That's the wisdom revealed. That's uh, that God has revealed through the Spirit. And so we're dealing here with revelation. And our time's up this, this evening, so I'm going to stop right there. That's a good place to stop, I think. We'll begin there with the revelation. Paul talks about this wisdom being revealed and also hidden. It's hidden from the peacocks of this world. It's hidden from those arrogant people. You think Biden could understand the scriptures? He couldn't even begin to understand them because he can't see past his own importance. That's why these fools, that's why the world becomes fools. And they look at us as being fools. They're the fools. So we'll mark it right there. And begin. What is today? The 8th. 
It's what? Eight. Seven? Eight? <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about there, boy. Uh, eight. Okay. So it's... Uh, This is the tenth month, isn't it? Or the ninth? Ninth. The ninth month. Nineteen or twenty twenty one. Huh? Twenty twenty one. You see, I really don't care because I'm retired. Doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> Conrad, did you get that rock crusher tuned up this evening? No, I fixed some irrigation pipes I broke with the swather. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a one-man operation or I'd come down and try to help you. Oh, find a spot for you to help. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, it is. Thank you.